The Behavioral Corner is produced in cooperation with Retreat Behavioral Health, where healing happens. Hi and welcome, I'm Steve Martorano and this is The Behavioral Corner. You're invited to hang with us as we discuss the ways we live today, the choices we make, the things we do, and how they affect our health and well-being. So you're on the corner, the behavioral corner. Please hang around a while. Hello, everybody. Welcome again. It's the behavioral corner, and it's me. I'm hanging. That's what I do. Steve Martorano with you um, in the uh, hope that you're uh, you know, spending some time with us. What we do here, the conceit is that this corner is the intersection of a lot of interesting people with a lot of uh, interesting information, we hope, all of which has to do with your behavioral health. We call it a podcast about everything because, as I say, everything affects our behavioral health. OK, so uh, if you're just finding us, hi, if you're a, a, a longtime listener and viewer, don't forget to continue doing that. OK, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to dive right into the headlines uh, in the healthcare field or medicine field and uh, take a look at the uh, latest silver bullet that's going to call, uh, eliminate obesity. Uh, in one fell swoop, Americans are nothing if not impatient. We've been looking for this magic bullet. And uh, depending upon what you're reading and what you're hearing, uh, it might be something called Ozempic. And then again, it might not. But we'll find out everything we need to know about that, I'm sure, with our guest who joins us from, uh, you know, the closest thing to paradise weather-wise in the world, San Diego, California, George Cram. George is the co-founder of a patient advocacy group called Patient Partner, and we welcome him to the corner. George, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Uh, happy to be here. So uh, tell me about the company you co-founded. How did that come about, and how does your advocacy take shape? Yeah, yeah. First off, thanks again for having me on the podcast. Really happy to be here. And um, and yeah, I mean, Patient Partner is a is a fascinating founding story simply because it was a combination of my professional life and personal life meeting at one point. And, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, prior to starting this business, uh, I was actually a medical device rep for about 10 years. And, you know, for those who don't know what that job is, I basically worked in operating rooms, helping out surgeons, making sure products got implanted correctly. I knew a young friend several years ago. He's the son of a, a friend of our families, and he got into that. And I thought, well, that's an interesting uh, line of work. And it wasn't until he'd been doing it for a while that he told me that, oh, yeah, no, I don't just sell it to the surgeon. I go in there and make sure everything's okay. So that's what you did, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it was, uh, Steve, I, I, it was an awesome career. It really was. Um, you know, every day was different. Um, I really specialized and found my niche in trauma. Mm -hmm. And so, Man, it was a it was a very adrenaline pumping role. You know, I'd get calls at two, three o'clock in the morning. I had to go down to the hospital because somebody got into a motorcycle accident, or you know, you, you know, a lot of blunt and penetrating trauma. You know, gunshot wounds, stab, sure. stabbings, things like that. And yeah, these surgeons I worked with would look at me and you know, really rely on me to make sure that one, the products that I have ready are are the right products, and then two which product's the right product for this patient. So I had to do a little bit of self-diagnosis um, on each one of these patients, you know, understanding the, the condition, what else is going on with them from a health background, and then making sure I, you know, guide the physician to choosing the right product. And uh, 
it was a very, very fun career, very rewarding. And from that, you end up creating beautiful relationships with the with the surgeons you work with. Yeah. That's a strange hybrid situation. You're a salesman. Basically, you're a salesman. You're selling a product to uh, to specialists who then pass it on to us in the form of these devices. But you also have to know a lot about medicine. And as you said, trauma and what's the background. So which came first here, the course of the car? Were you ready to lean over a surgeon? I mean, you're in the room when they're cutting people up, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So how so how's the how's the salesman and you go? Okay, I'm not sales anymore. Now I'm in the OR. How'd that happen? Well, okay, yeah. How I got into the med device industry when I was in college, I um I caddied at the local country club, and with that, I you know you got to meet a ton of different people, all relatively successful. You know, wasn't a cheap country club to be a part of, mm-hmm. and. As I was caddying, you know, you spend four hours with somebody and you get to kind of learn about what they do. And so, you know, caddied for lawyers and doctors and entrepreneurs and um, was really fascinated because there was several med device reps that were members. And, you know, I'd see them zoom in on their super cool cars. They'd be running into the locker room in their scrubs. And, you know, I would assume that they were just doctors or something like that. And they're like... I'm not a doctor. I just sell doctor stuff. And I'm like, why are you in scrubs though? I just don't get it. Yeah. Right. And he was like, well, George, I'm in the operating room helping him. And I was so fascinated by that. I I knew I, I kind of had this desire to go into sales, um, but I wanted like an exciting career. And and to me, that seemed very exciting. And that's what really kind of led me to go down that pathway. Steve, it's, it's absolutely mind blowing. I mean, I had no medical background, never went to school for medicine, didn't take a single, you know, I wasn't like, you know, health uh, background, right. anything like that. Yeah, you, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't drop out of med school and pivot to sales. No. You, you don't have, you have no background. So what prepared you for the first time you were in an operating room? Yeah. So these companies that hire you, I mean, they do a pretty good job of, of trying to train you on the exact procedures that you'll be going into. And so with those trainings, there's cadavers. And I remember to this day, when I saw my first cadaver, uh, I almost fainted. Yep. I had to like go back and like lean back on the table because I was like turning white. <laughs> but um, it's just like anything, like as you start seeing it more and more, you kind of get desensitized mm-hmm. by it mm-hmm. and it turns into just, hey, this is every day. And for me, it was more of a puzzle, right? So it's like I have to, you know, as I evolved in my career, I started to understand like, okay, this patient came in, it has X, Y, and Z going on outside of this one condition. like. I need to understand the full mm-hmm. landscape of this mm-hmm. patient's, you know, current situation mm-hmm. in order for me to, to make a, you know, an educated choice as far as which products that we're going to be using. It's a fascinating skill set because uh, as you, as you uh, point out, that initial reaction is incredibly emotional. It's visceral. I'm, I'm sure yeah. first year med students feel some of that. I would guess a deadly uh, drawback if emotions overwhelm you and you're, operating on someone's knee or hip or heart. So doctors, as we we expect, have a detached, you know, scientific and emotionless relationship to that kind of a situation. I, I suspect lots of real good salesmen started out thinking they were going to sell medical devices and then realized, no, maybe I'm not ready for that, right? They don't have a stomach for it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, you're totally right. And it's, and it's funny, like, Especially with me, I really specialize in a very particular aspect of trauma. 
And with that, you know, I worked with pretty much all of the physicians in like the Southern California area. And so, you know, when a physician would go and see a certain case, they would call me and I'd come in and help advise. And, you know, for me, it's like, oh, I've seen 25 of these cases in the past month where this doctor might've seen one or two in their whole past wow. year. Yeah. So there's, there's times where, see, I kid you not, these doctors look at me and they're like, all right, George, what do I do next? No and, kidding. Yeah. And so I'm like orchestrating within the operating room, but it's, don't be wrong. It's very much a team effort. Like, you know, you have the nurses, sure. the, the physician, the surgeon. And, and you're right in there. You're not looking on some monitor in another room. You're in there masked up and ready and ready to go, huh? Yeah, exactly. That's what what are uh, just a few more things about about uh, the job? What what so, sort of devices were you repping? Yeah, so I started off in orthopedics. Um, did a lot of sports medicine. Think of like ACL, rotator mm-hmm. ACL, rotator cuff, things like that. And then went into orthopedic recon and trauma, doing more joints. And then on the trauma side, that's really where I got my first experience on the trauma, which you know. Imagine somebody gets into a car accident, they break their femur, right? And mm-hmm. so they would come in and, and I'd have products for that. And then I ended my career in biologics, uh, selling soft tissue for any sort of abdominal, like penetrating abdominal wounds. Um, and then I did a lot of burn, a lot of burn care. So, you know, large TBSA burns in which, you know, we're trying to re-epithelialize skin, basically grow skin back or try to build up tissue to skin graft. So and there, are, there are devices that can do all that. There sure is. Uh, and I sold arguably, I think the the best device in the planet. I, I would show photos to people of like what this product could do. And it was, you know, I called it the miracle product. These photos almost look like a late night infomercial where you're like, you know, you see something like, okay, this is just fake. But it was incredibly powerful. Um, this technology was unlike anything I've seen, and it was incredibly fun to sell. And not only that, it was incredibly inspiring to see sure. how this changed people's lives. Changed people's lives. Well, we're, we're well past the uh, time when the bionic man or woman was a television show. Now yeah. it's, it's now a practical reality. George Cram is our guest. It's from that uh, experience of helping uh, doctors, physicians, and patients deal with the trauma of uh, that would require their, his products to this advocacy work. Is that what you meant by everything coming together when you founded well, the company? Yeah, kind of. So, you know, as a rep, like you have these really intimate relationships with the surgeons you worked with. And, and truthfully, I took advantage of that. Like anytime I got sick, my kids got sick. We never went to a doctor. I just pulled out my phone, called a buddy mm-hmm. and told him what's going on and say, hey, can you send a prescription to CVS? But it wasn't until about seven years ago, my, my wife was actually diagnosed with uh, thyroid cancer. And mm-hmm. with that, you know, I, I went back to my typical playbook, like, hey, call my doctors, figure out what type of treatment we should be going down and understanding, you know, the journey. And, and this was the first time where, you know, my doctors were like, George, I don't really know much about oncology. I'm not sure if I can really help you. And so we felt like the everyday patient. Mm-hmm. And as we were going through this and the oncologist is laying out all the treatment options, there's pros and cons. I actually got called into clinic one day because one of our doctors was like, Hey George, this patient wants to know what a knee replacement is. Can you, can you help ex- explain it to him? Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. So I'm walking him through the patient stops me and goes, you know, George, thank you, doctor. I'm trying to decide if, if I really want to go through with this procedure, you know, it's, it's a pretty serious procedure. I want to make sure if I do it, it's really yeah. going to give me the life that I want back. 
And what would be really helpful is, do you have a past knee replacement patient that you can connect me with? And I remember sitting in the chair like, oh my gosh, this is literally what I need right now. And I left, I was in the parking lot of that office and I called the oncologist. I'm like, hey, do you have another mom that you can connect my wife with? And, and he did. And Steve, it was life-changing for us. It really was. Like my wife now had this companion who completely understood what it's like to be in her shoes at every step of the process. And it gave me this like overwhelming conviction where like this needs to be normalized and healthy. Yeah, right. It's surprising that it wasn't at that point, but um, with the ability to connect people rapidly now, it's a great idea. So out of that came a partner patient to the advocacy group. And you know what? I love to have you back sometime and we can get real deep into what advocacy is all about and how a patient partner works. But I'm suspecting that it was because of your you know, role as an advocate for patients that the topic that we're centrally going to talk about would rise up you know, to the level of you know, your radar screen, because it's almost impossible not to have noticed this drug, even if you don't know the name of it. It's Ozembic. O-Z-E-M-P-I-C. I almost certainly guarantee you heard about it because some Hollywood star just lost 35 pounds with this wonder drug. And I thought, well, you know, Hollywood, they're on the leading edge. They're in the business of looking good. So they're going to be the first people to find the new thing. And while I think it's a joke overall to expect that you're going to be able to take a pill or a shot and lose weight, I think I think losing weight's a pretty straightforward thing. Stop eating and exercise. You'll you'll lose some weight. Uh, every now and then, this you know the magic bullet comes along, and this is certainly that. Turns out there's more about this drug that we need to know, and that's why George Cram is with us today to educate us on Ozempic. First of all, it was intended for what originally? Still is. Yeah, Ozempic is a semaglutide. Basically, it's it's. Today, from the FDA, what it's intended for is to treat patients with type 2 diabetes, lower in A1C levels. Mm-hmm. And uh, it does it does wonders for that. You know, it's a very uh, convenient uh, drug. I mean, you, you take a shot and, you know, you do it on a weekly basis versus being able to constantly monitor your glucose levels and, and with, you know, devices and things like that. This gives a lot of freedom and autonomy back to patients who struggle with their type 2 diabetes. And it just so happened kind of as a side effect or, you know, byproduct of this drug is that people lose a lot of weight. You know, it kind of shrinks your uh, desire to, to eat and your appetite. And so people naturally lose a lot of weight and it happens relatively quickly, which is great for the type 2 diabetic. I mean, you can go back into, you know, a pre-diabetic state. And, you know, which is a wonderful thing for patients, but, you know, as this drug started gaining popularity, like you said, through, you know, celebrities and Hollywood and and social media, what ended up happening is, is you had a lot of patients or hard to call them patients, but, you know, you had a lot of people utilizing this simply for weight loss Mm -hmm. and, and it does wonders. It really does. I mean, you have very limited change to your actual lifestyle and you're able to lose weight relatively quickly. So we have a drug authorized, tested, and approved, FDA approved for the treatment of type 2 diabetes. It has, uh, as you say, the miraculous effect on weight loss, which is not so remarkable when you, as you just said, when you think about handling diabetes, weight loss is a very good thing about that. So it's working the way it should. But it then begins to exhibit 
other off-label benefits. And explain to people who might not know what an off-label use of a drug really means. Yeah. So, so keep in mind, you know, physicians are not beheld to what the labeling of a product is. Mm-hmm. And I experienced this as, as a, in my med device career where, you know, there is indications uh, given to each product through the FDA and companies are required to sell their products in that manner. Right. It was, we made it for this. This is what we want to sell it as. Right. Correct. Correct. However, physicians can practice at their own will and what they think is going to be best for their patients. But um, one of the things that I think is really misunderstood and not highlighted enough about Ozempic is that, yes, you know, it's a great tool to help the type 2 diabetic. It has a weight loss component to it. Um, But one of the largest side effects that not a lot of people know is that this also has the capability of creating thyroid cancer. And because what it does is it affects all of your hormones and with that, that your thyroid regulates. And so, you know, even on, on the labeling, you can go look it up right now. It, it'll say like, you have to routinely check your throat and your, in your neck area to make sure that you don't have any new lumps or anything like that. And not only that, it also is, I'm not sure if it's contraindicated, but if, there's certainly a warning on if you have hereditary, so meaning your dad, your mom, your cousin, whoever have thyroid cancer, this is a very, very risky, risky drug to take. It's funny how that wasn't, you know, the headline on on the, on the, at least on the use of it as a um, weight loss thing. By the way, the the warning about the potential thyroid cancer problem, does that apply to people also? And obviously applies to people also taking it just for diabetes type two, right? Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. All right. But so what else do we need to to know about this? Because the first time I heard about it was not that it was a miracle uh, weight loss drug. First, because of what we do here on the behavioral corner. People were saying, not only did I lose my appetite, I didn't feel like smoking anymore for some strange reason. They just didn't feel the, you know, the, 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 the urge to smoke. And others said, I don't even want a drink. Well, in the substance abuse field, that's a very significant thing. If there's a drug that coincidentally goes to the part of brain chemistry that controls not addiction so much, but cravings. Cravings, desires, yeah. Desires, then you've got a very significant thing. What do we know about Ozempic and that? Do, Do we know enough about that? So this is actually kind of an interesting topic. So I don't hear much as much of that as I do from the, from the weight loss side. Mm-hmm. But one of the things is that, that I do have a lot of experience in is through patient partner, we actually work with a lot of patients for actual uh, bariatric surgery. So weight loss surgery. Mm-hmm. And one of the largest things that we see within that actual disease state is So for the people who had weight loss surgery, there is a addictive behavior within those individuals of wanting to eat or things like that. But when you have weight loss surgery, they literally remove either 70% of your stomach or like 95% of your stomach. So you, there's like physically not enough room to, to continue eating. And so what they do is they channel those addictive tendencies into other areas. Alcoholism is a huge uh, problem for patients after, after weight loss surgery. And then also, you know, things like gambling, things like, um, you know, other, other addictive type of, um, vices 
start mm-hmm. to service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's um, always been one of the great barriers to effective recovery from any kind of compulsive behavior is that you can block some of these things uh, medicinally, but to get to the craving part of it uh, is often dealt with, you know, psychologically. And so, and so it gets a little complicated. So this is a fascinating drug. It has, we know that it has clear diabetes um, effectiveness. We obviously causes people to lose weight, Uh, just remarkable stories of, Typically, what are people losing in, in in what span of time? Yeah, I mean, there's people losing 20 pounds a, a month, right? And it's like over and over and over again. And uh, obviously, it totally depends on where your where your current weight is, yep, and and how long you've been taking it too. Which is another piece of it as well is with all of this hype and people using it for strictly weight loss purposes. Right. There's a massive shortage of this drug for people who truly need it to treat their type two diabetes. So much so that I think doctors are becoming a little more uh, reluctant to just write a prescription. I mean, a doctor doesn't, uh, you know, a doctor can give Ozembek to a patient who's not a diabetic, correct? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's resulted, as you say, in a, uh, in a shortage for people who, who actually need it. Uh, George, what, what are some of the, I mean, there's a whole raft of side effects that go beyond the, the dramatic one of uh, thyroid cancer danger. Uh, what are some of those side effects as well? Well, you know, there's a lot of different elements that go into a Zempic. Um, you know, a lot of them is causing nausea and, you know, it, it can create a uh, rather aggressive reaction. You, you know, a lot of patients experience vomiting. It can have a, a pretty big impact on your pancreas and your kidneys. And with, and like, without question, like, the, the like if a woman is pregnant, there's a massive concern about uh, one. Not only there's a risk with, within the baby, but also from a breastfeeding standpoint. Mm-hmm. So patient, you know, patients who are like, "Hey, I just had a baby. I'm trying to lose weight," and they go on a Zempic, uh-huh. that could have a really large uh, effect, if, especially if they're breastfeeding. How large is the population of people who are trying this? Is it getting bigger, or has some of information like this slowed down? The use of it as a diet drug. No, it's only it's only getting larger. I mean, there's more there's more drugs coming out today. I mean, Ozempic's the headline. Wegovy is another as another drug, very very similar. Uh, Manjaro is another drug, very similar. Oh, so there's um, more on the horizon. Yeah, yeah, and um, and you know these drugs by themselves, like for the type two diabetic patient, just incredible breakthroughs in technology. It really right. is. But you know. With that, it's kind of going back to your statement of like, you know, in America, we're always looking for the fastest, quickest way to get, you know, whether it's weight loss or, you know, whatever the, you know, whatever the desired outcome is. And, you know, this is a, is a avenue to do it. However, the one thing I will say is, you know, there is regulation in place to try to decrease the improper utilization of these therapies. And it's, it's truly just through insurance coverage. I mean, these is these are expensive drugs. It's an injectable procedure, right? You get it. You get a shot of this stuff. It just comes in like a it looks like a pen, and you, and you just do it at home. And uh, yeah, it's a thousand dollars a pop. Thousand dollars. And so, with that, if you don't have type two diabetes, your insurance won't cover it. Right? They'll, they'll, it falls into a category of what's called like not medically necessary. Right. Like cosmetic surgery. 
Exactly. It, it, won't, it, won't, it won't cover it. How many, one, one dose lasts, how long, how much weight do you lose from one shot? I have to look into Wegovi in, in, in Manjaro, but it's a, it's a weekly shot. So once a week you, you take a shot, when you get a prescription, they give you four, you know, four pens within that prescription. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's a month supply and, and yeah, I mean, so every month you go in and get a refill, but, um, but yeah, it's just a one time once a week. Yeah. It's incredibly, no wonder it started in Hollywood. First of all, you know, they're in the beauty business. And second of all, the only persons that can afford that. It's an enormously expensive proposition. So, are you? You're an advocate. We'll, uh, we'll put aside what you're what you would advocate patients about this drug, and and I'll ask you a, another a question. Maybe you have an opinion. Do you think the marketplace will settle this? That if you go in and say, "Look, I don't have diabetes, but I'm I'm obese. Look at me. I want to do this," and the doctor says, "Well, okay, I can give you that shot." It's not covered by your insurance. You think that the marketplace will sort this out, or do we need some more regulations here? I think it's already being done. So, mm -hmm. so what I mean by that is a lot of these companies are already trying to expand their um, indications, mm -hmm. and the only way that you do that is you have to do a lot of a lot of studies, gather a lot of data, and it has to be relatively overwhelming for the FDA to to grant that indication. And when they do grant that indication there's a domino effect that happens. One, these companies can now market it as a weight loss you know, drug. And then two, insurance will cover it. And so the widespread utilization of this and the way it gets significantly bigger is not necessarily through physicians and, and doctors saying, go do this because there's going to be a natural uh, roadblock just because mm -hmm. not everybody can afford this on, a, on the monthly cadence. Yep. However, if this gets approved, this will turn into, I think, one of the most successful drug segments like we have ever seen. If you look at just the overall obesity rate in the U.S., it's only climbing, starting at a younger age, um, and being able to have a quick fix. I mean, perfect. It's hard to say no to that. No, it's it perfect. Really I mean, in terms of uh, everything you just described, it is perfect. It, it's clearly a, there's a fortune out there. Uh, it's what people want. A lot of people need it. They don't want to go to the gym or maybe they will after they lose the 50 pounds. But, yes, yeah, the yeah. perfect storm, of course. And I'll let it go at this. We've got to be that the description you made of uh, broadening the indications for drugs uh, was used to devastating effect with uh, Oxycontin. Uh, when, the, when the pharmaceutical companies decided to. Uh, pitched the idea that this drug was not addictive and could be used for a whole host of pain-related problems, the slippery slope got obviously dangerous, and we wound up with an epidemic. Stakes are a little higher here. This is a, this is a drug that can do a lot of great things for people who are diabetic. It has, like all drugs do, some downside, but it is now getting swept up, I think, in the glitz and glamour of show business, and uh, people need folks like George Cram to say, yeah, whoa, is that the advocacy you, you would give to somebody who came to partner patients and said, you know, what should I do? I, do I get the bariatric surgery or do I use this drug? There's a lot of stigma with um, obesity. There really is. And, and you know, uh, a lot of it is driven behind the notion of, you know, patient or people just going, hey, you know, go to the gym, lose weight, eat better. 
And, you know, although that is true for a lot of people, there's also a subset of patients who, one, you get to a, a certain size where you truly just can't go to the gym anymore. You know, mm-hmm. you, you have a tough time even walking to the mailbox mm-hmm. and being able to have a solution that can dramatically start losing, you know, losing weight for people for them to start having a more active lifestyle, I think could do a lot of wonders. Um, and, you know, the one thing I will say is like, you have to look at the, what obesity and being overweight does in the long run of, to your health. And you have to have a comparable, right? You look at like the largest leading cause of death in the, in the, in the United States. And it's really just, you know, a large piece of that is just because, you know, people are overweight, they don't work out and they don't make a healthy, you know, cardio aerobic lifestyle. And if this can be a method to get, you know, our, you know, the U S population, the world into a healthier state, I think that's a great thing, but I need, I do stress this a lot is being able to have be very clear to patients on what this experience would be like if you took a Zempic, you took Wegovy, whatever it is, and have that understanding and also understand your historical and genealogical background and making sure that you're not going to potentially harm yourself in the long run just to lose some weight over the next six months. Well, that's great advocacy. Uh, thank you, George. Uh, George Cram from uh, Patient Partner talking to us about advocating for patients, getting, making sure they know all that's necessary when they face a, a medical emergency or questions. People want more information. You've got the website. We'll have a link to that for you guys so people can find out what you're about. Are you all over the place or just in Southern California or where are you guys? Yeah. So we're just down in San Diego, California, and this is where our headquarters is. But, you know, patient partners, have, we're actually now a global company. I mean, we help patients in Australia and New Zealand, Canada, various parts of um, of Europe. And uh, yeah, if you want to connect with me, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or send me an email. My email is just george at patientpartner.com. Great, George Cram. Thanks so much. We appreciate it. Have you back sometime soon, I hope. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Talk soon. All right, George. Take care. You guys as well. Don't forget, you know, if you know the drill, follow us, like us, do that whole thing uh, and look for us by all means, uh, wherever you get your finer podcasts. Catch you next time on the Behavioral Corner. Bye-bye. Retreat Behavioral Health has proudly been serving the community for over 10 years. Here at Retreat, we believe in the power of connection and quality care. We offer comprehensive, holistic, and compassionate treatment from industry-leading experts. Call 855-802-6600 or visit us at www.retreatbehavioralhealth.com to begin your journey today. That's it for now. And make us a habit, hanging out at the Behavioral Corner. And when we're not hanging, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, on the Behavioral Corner.